T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. They say behind every good man is a, an even better woman rolling her eyes. Well, tonight, it's not behind me. It's in front of me. My wife is in studio. So, Kristen, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, I love that intro. Listen, if you want to be a part of the show, so I'm really, I'm really excited about tonight's show. I'm excited for the dialogue we're about to have. We have tons of questions we're going to get to. Um, but if you want to be a part of the show, we love hearing from you. 866-391-1020 is the number. So just give us a call. 866-391-1020 is the number. But the great thing when you – so Kristen and I have been married. You and I have been married now for 19 years. Oh, you're a little worried when you said that, right? Right, right. We've been married for what? Been? <laughs> a week or two? No, how long? So when, you, when you've been married a long time, you know, your partner is there to help guide you, push you, teach you. And shine some light on it. So when I asked Kristen, I'm just telling the audience now, when I asked her, how do we get started on this show tonight? She said, let's dive into questions. That's what we want to hear. So that's what what we're going to do. We're going to dive right into them. Well, we we have a lot to get through tonight. So we're just going to jump in. So the first question we have is from Cindy. And Cindy says, "Um, Dr. Conti, my anger and New Year's resolution to resolve my resentments, which are just the baggage of my unresolved anger, has led me to unearth deep feelings of sadness, grief, hurt, and loss that seem unending in their depth. But I could keep going there to keep learning about myself. My anger is a shield at best most of the time. Maybe you could speak on how to process long-buried feelings of loss and sadness over being hurt in relationships, in relationships that I've lost over a lifetime. I know this is a tall order, but I feel like I've had no control, and I'm lost. Please help. No, this is a great question, and I really want to highlight and, and send some gratitude towards you, Cindy, not just for this question, but, I, you know, I specifically picked out your question because I know you're an, an avid listener to the show and uh, just a, such a great supporter for us. So thank you so much for always always listening. And, uh, yeah, I want to get to this question because this is important. So it's the deep down buried pain that's there. And the question is, how do we get through that? See, if we were to wake up today, let's say we lost our memories entirely, and we had to start fresh from this moment forward, I wonder, Cindy, what would be going through your mind? Because if you had no memory of the past and you, and you could really start fresh, what would today look like? How would you fill your mind? Because I've, I've taught about this lesson for a long time that, like a bucket. Whatever you put in your bucket is going to be in your bucket. And the same is true with your mind. Whatever you put in your mind is going to be in your mind. And if you fill your mind with the loss, with the pain, then that's what becomes present for you. And so the challenge is to figure out what do you want to be in your life? What do you want to focus on? 
So I think a lot of times people think, I wish, you know, I wish I could erase my memories. I wish I could, I could forget about those things and forget about that pain, but they can't. So how does someone that's gone through something that intense that it's kind of taken over, how do they, how do they block that out or how do they move on from that? So one of the first things to do is to recognize the links that we make. We make links. These are called, you almost want to make them mnemonic devices. If you were going to study and you remember mnemonic devices, how can I remember what I'm studying for this test? Well, I'll link, let's say you, you, you know, if you're, you have children in school, you might teach them this technique. Let's say they're studying a concept and the concept's difficult for them, and you know they're going to take a bottle of water to school with them. Well, they can visualize that that bottle of water becomes that answer, and then the next day when they're in school, they see the bottle of water, and they've already associated the answer with that bottle. That's a new mind. It's just a way to remember. It's just a way to remember what's going on. So in the same way, whenever we have an emotional experience, we are imprinted in multiple ways. And so now we have links. We have links to, to ways to come back to this memory, even if we don't like those links. Let me give an example. Let's say, Cindy, that you, um, there was a painful relationship from the past. And one of the good memories that you had is uh, going to a drive-in movie theater. Well, it could be 20 years later. You could be driving past a drive-in movie theater, and that could spark a memory in you. It could trigger something in you. And if you're not aware of all the many ways in which these old pains are triggered, then you start to get triggered unconsciously. But once you start to identify them, now you can reassociate what you link to that trigger. And I think, too, like, what is it in those past relationships that that you enjoyed? Like, so what brought you joy? So if you're if you're kind of focused on the past, um, and, and you're, you're missing those things, of, you're missing those components of the relationships, maybe it's the companionship, um, but what is it that, that, that you're missing, and is there a way to have that without being in that particular relationship? So, give me, so for example, if she's missing something like the connectedness. Sure then it's looking for that connectedness in different places. Yeah, and I, and I think, too, it's, it's sometimes helpful. Like if, if I think that someone else is responsible for a problem that I'm having, they almost have to be the solution for it. Like if, you know what I mean? So yeah, if, that's a really good point to talk so about. So if, if I'm at the source of – if I'm responsible for my happiness – then I'm responsible for, for forging that new path and finding my happiness. But if I'm looking backwards and that person is the reason why I'm not happy, it almost kind of comes down to that they might have to be the reason and almost, you know, be the way that I become happy. So for, through the years, people have wanted to um, write a letter to an ex or they've wanted to, well, if I just say this to my, this person that, that it left me or caused me pain, the challenge with that is this. What comes with that is I'm going to say X, Y, and Z, and now this person should respond in this exact way. And as you say, then you put your peace on someone else's response, and now you're not responsible for your happiness or your peace. Someone else is. Right, and we, we're never in control over what someone else is going is going how they're going to react. So if if my happiness is based on someone else's reaction, then they have all the power, and I have no control over my of my life. And I think, you know, if, if we're inevitably responsible for our own happiness, we need to find 
you know, find those things. And like you say all the time, you master what you practice. Um, practice, you know, finding those things that gave us joy. So, you know, again, if it's past traumas and things that are holding you back, what are some things in the past that, that brought you joy? You know, what are things that you really enjoyed either from those relationships or, you know, even back further? What are things that bring you peace? And how can you bring those into this present moment and practice them so that you're inevitably, you know, responsible and, and doing things each day that, that can make you happier? And it's not like it's just, you know, it's an epiphany you have and you can, okay, that makes sense and you move on. It takes practice, you know. That's a good point. It's not one moment and all of a sudden everything changes. We have a lot more to say about this and actually a whole lot more for you tonight. Really excited tonight. I'm Dr. Christian Conti, but in studio with me is Kristen, my wife, and we have a whole lot to come. We would love for you to be a part of this show. 866-391-1020 is the number. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome back to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti in studio with me tonight, my wife, Kristen. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're back on the air. <laughs> I love having you in the studio. It's nice to be here. So we were, right before the break, we talked, uh, we addressed a question to Cindy, and I want to f- come back to that for a minute. In general, Cindy's talking about letting go of past pain. And so I made a video, uh, If you, and again, I like to try to give you uh, a way to, well, it's radio, you wonder, what's this guy look like, or what is, you know, who are you talking to? Who, who, who are we talking to? So YouTube, I make a lot of free videos on YouTube. Um, you just go to YouTube and type in Dr. Christian Conti. Um, but anyway, so when she t- I made a video on letting go. And when I made this video on letting go, um, there would be people who didn't watch the video and say things like, Oh, it's, anyone can just say, just let it go. But that's actually nothing what I said in the video. I would never say, just let go. Right. That's difficult to just, to say it that way, like it's easy. It's not easy. It's hard. Right. But ultimately, here is what happens. Our brain, uh, our best neuroscience tells us that our brain doesn't ignore things. So I would never say, Cindy, just, oh, just ignore how you feel. Just ignore those thoughts. That's not what I would say. However, it is also true that our brain doesn't multitask. You might feel like, oh, I can multitask. I can do so many different things at once. But the truth is your brain actually shifts focus from subject to subject. It just does so, so rapidly. So we believe we're multitasking when actually we're shifting focus. So now let's build on those two concepts that we're not going to ignore something neurologically. We're not going to multitask. So now what we're faced with is what is in our foreground is our focus. Let me say that again. What is in our foreground is our focus. So again, I say, Cindy, if you woke up today and you had no memory, what would be in your foreground? How would you start your day? Would you start your day with gratitude? How would you fill your mind that day? And by focusing on those things while being mindful what might be triggering you to pull up those, those older memories or those painful memories, that's the key. That's the key. Yeah, and I think... Too, I remember reading somewhere like our, our brains like to focus on the problems. So, you know, we could be breathing and blinking, our hearts are beating, we could have food, we have all these things, but our brain likes to focus on the one thing that's wrong. And that's great from an evolutionary standpoint. It helps us, you know, to grow and evolve and, and do what we need to do and fix the problems and, and keep moving forward. 
But at the same time, if we're always focused on what's not going right, there might be a bigger picture of a lot of things that are going right. So even just, you know, past traumas are difficult, but even just taking time during the day to shift on some of the things that are going right in your life. But I really like that you pointed that out. And the reason why is, so on my YouTube channel, I hear from people all over the world. And the vast, vast majority of comments are kind, grateful. But I was looking through some of the comments today to grab some questions uh, for the show tonight. And uh, I came across one <laughs> where the guy was like, well, this guy just keeps yapping. <laughs> and it's interesting because it's very natural to focus on the co the one comment that stands out that's negative right. versus literally 99 plus others that right. were positive. And that's a great skill that our brain has. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, because it, it, we need to fix problems and it's good to focus on that. But sometimes when we're in a spot that's hard to get out of, even just taking that temporary time to shift and look at what's going right. You know, do I have a roof over my head? Do I have, you know, breath in my lungs? Am I, you know what I mean? Like there are so many things that you can find just to have uh, even moments of gratitude. And again, practicing that and then, you know, trying to find, find, you know, each, just keep taking steps on finding peace and gratitude in your life. So my dad taught me the concept of parallax, parallax, when you talk about perspective, and a great way to learn this is if you hold your finger an arm's length out in front of you, and you look at it at first with your left eye, and then you wink and you look at it with your right eye, an apparent shift in the way you see that finger looks like a shift in the finger, like it's moving. It's mm -hmm. not. It's your perspective. Mm. And the same thing can happen psychologically. You can look, Cindy, at whatever you're struggling with from a totally different angle from a different perspective i love that I, I don't think i've ever heard you say that one that's really good i, I did love that in that the visual. first talk i gave uh back in 1998 when you came to see me and i, I spoke to all those teachers you were there <laughs> and that's when i first did that because i did the, i did this where i had people hold their finger out in front of them and i thought I was so excited i was like well this is making a really good point and you told me afterward that one of the, the people in the audience looked at it and said boy i need to get my nails done <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I thought oh, I was I making a really good that. point. That's right. I do remember that. Uh, so, but, yeah, that apparent shift in position, it changes things. So, Cindy, what I would ask you to do is re-look at that. In other words, why do you believe you might have gone through what you went through? Now, maybe you are ascribing a meaning to it, and maybe one exists. And that becomes the realm of belief, whether you believe you are ascribing a meaning to it or whether you believe that a meaning exists. In either way, it comes down to belief. So now let's go with your belief. Whatever your belief is, ask yourself why you think that might be. Why do you think you encountered those? Now, we all know we define ourselves by what we overcome, but then when we look back on these struggles, sometimes we dwell in them instead of realizing we needed to get over those to be who we are today. And that's that's so hard in life because when you're in the middle of the struggles, it's always so so hard and you can't, sometimes you can't see, you know, the finish line. But every time, like, you know, we talk about this all the time, when you've gone through something and you're past it and you look back and you think, wow, that was really, right. <laughs> you know, that was so meaningful and that was so great. And if I could, you know, take myself from this moment and go back and talk to myself in that moment, I would say, you know, this is, you know, this struggle is really going to help push you forward and you're going to grow from this. And there's a lot of beautiful things happening that when we're in the middle of that, it's really difficult to see the big picture. 
you know, and, and get that lesson. But um, it is. But something that I've 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 gained a lot from you doing this through the years is you're very good at bringing that to the present when you're going through it. Like, for instance, I've heard you say many times. So. Uh, Kristen and I are the very proud parents of a beautiful, who we believe perfect, divine little girl <laughs> who is uh, 14. We're not biased at all. Yeah, we're not Hi, biased. Kaya. Hi, Kaya. <laughs> um, but we're, we, and so sometimes when you'll be struggling, you might say, you know what, well, let me, if I'm going to make up a meaning for this moment, I'm going to be, what if I take this on so that our daughter doesn't have to take this on? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. And this to me, whether I believe or don't believe, I do, but whether I believe or not makes no difference. What matters is when you create a meaning, think about what that does for you. Now, I've heard you say that many times, so much so that the other day I was um, mountain biking with my brother-in-law. We have a ton of fun doing this mountain biking. (laughs) And I fell, and the moment I hit, I kind of hit a branch off my spine. It did not feel good. But because of listening to you through the years, the moment I did it, I thought, you know what? Okay, if this is karma and I'm not that hurt, I'm going to take this karma. And it just helped me mentally deal with that moment. It It doesn't mean it was right or wrong, good or bad. It just means it helped me with that moment. Right, reframing that and giving it just that slight different perspective. You know, parallax. I was going to ask you, your dad's so smart. Your mom and dad are so smart. Parallax. But yeah, I'm gonna cha- okay. but changing that perspective. So listen, maybe you have questions for us. Maybe there are things that you're struggling with that you'd like some insight around. We want to talk about relationships. I mean, we're going to talk about parenting tonight. Uh, we're actually going to talk about meditation. And I wanted to tell the gentleman who called last week, I posted um, some resources. Last week, I talked a little bit about meditation. We're going to talk more about that tonight. Um, but I posted some resources on my Facebook page. Now, my Facebook page uh, is you go to Facebook, and it's Dr. Christian Conte, C-O-N-T-E. Um, but you'll see a link to different resources. And now, this was for the Pittsburgh area, but what I encourage people to do who read that post, because I realize that we have we have some listeners and we're blessed to have some, some uh, fans of the show from all over the world. So whatever your area is, would love for you to add to that link and tell people, hey, listen, I'm in this area, and these are places you can learn meditation because it's a beautiful, a beautiful skill to have. We got a whole lot more coming to you tonight. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. Welcome back. It's Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti in studio with me, my wife, the person who knows me more than anyone, Kristen. You know how much I like those musical intros. Uh, you love them. You're jamming out over there. <laughs> I always, uh, you know, I'd love to just jump into song, but that's not going to be good. We're thankful that you <laughs> <laughs> thankful that I don't. 866-391-1020 is the number. This show is called Emotional Management. It's a show that's about you. So whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going through, you have emotions. You have experiences And sometimes it's not easy. Like, I I don't think that we learned early on in our childhood. I don't think it's been a a class that most children have to take to learn to deal with their emotions. So we grew up, we have these feelings, we have these interactions, these relationships, and we wonder why do they go wrong? What happens? How are we unhappy? Ultimately, I believe our quest for all of us is to find peace, and it's difficult to find peace when intense emotions get in the way. So 866-391-1020 is a number. We'd love to hear from you. 
But let's go to some questions and, and see what we have. Yeah, we have an, an anonymous question. Um, it says, Dr. Conti, how do you know when your child's anxiety is normal versus needing intervention? Um, yeah. Okay. So um, they also just added that they're very anxious about test taking, and um, even though they're very smart and, and do well on tests, they're just um, concerned about their child's anxiety with this issue. So I, I, that's such a great question, and we always, always love getting questions like this from parents because that, it's only dedicated parents that actually care enough to ask these questions. So that, that watch your children so closely that you wonder, when is this anxiety, when is this normal, and when does it go to a point where we, we've, we should probably intervene in some way? And, and look, right away, off the, especially when you talk about test anxiety, the first thought that comes to mind is performance. So anytime you're going to perform, which is taking a test, which is, you know, doing a sport, which is doing anything you want to do, anytime you perform, there is what's called optimal level anxiety. In other words, if you have no anxiety, you're probably not going to put your best effort in because what the heck, if it works, it works, if it doesn't, it right, doesn't. Right, you're not invested. Right, you're not invested. If you have too much anxiety, that gets in the way. And here's how you can kind of tell that if you, in terms of your own inner dialogue, if you find yourself talking about the thing you're experiencing rather than experiencing it, then you know you're into self-talk or what we call mental clutter in sports psychology. But when you are, you know, you're looking at it and you start to really do say things to yourself that are out of the ordinary, like, what if I fail this test? What does that mean? And now if you don't talk that out, you might think it's going to be some horrible, horrible answer. Right, and I and I think I remember you saying before too, like I, you know, if it's normal versus needing intervention, if it's affecting your daily activities, if it's affecting your sleep, if it's affecting, if they want to go to school, if they're nervous about going to school, if it's preventing them from doing their normal daily activities or preventing their sleep, you know, disrupting anything, that's when you would maybe, you know, want to do some sort of intervention. So, you know, if someone's not taking their child let's say to a counselor, are there are things that they can do at home or, you know, like things that they can do with their child that would kind of help them with that anxiety. So that's a great point to bring up. It, it's one, it's the standard by which we would get any kind of diagnosis in mental health. So if something interferes with daily functioning, that's kind of our Standard. Yeah, that's the go-to. But in general, I think it's worth talking out with our children what their fears are. Because once they crystallize these ideas, in our own minds, we know we can make a, a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. We can create tremendous things with our minds. So the first thing to do is ask your children, instead of saying, listen, you don't experience this, because this is one of the first things we think of. We say, I don't want them to be struggling, so I'm going to tell them, you're not that worried about it, or it's not that big of a deal. Right, right. Instead, get behind their eyes, see it the way they see it, experience it the way they do, because that's very validating for your children to know that you're trying to see it through their eyes. And and one of the things that I think that, that worked for us was always to do role-playing. Like, we would do, like, if there was anything that, you know, our child was ever nervous about or anything, we would definitely take the time to go through, like, well, what might that look like? What might that feel like? You know, and, and kind of role play that. And one time in particular, I remember um, our daughter was taking a karate class, 
And in the karate class, um, she got stuck in the bathroom. She was like four? She was four. And the door was locked, and she had a hard time getting out. And the karate instructor did such a great thing because she had her go back in and, you know, stay calm and figure it out and then go and do it again and go and do it again. So something that was in that moment kind of, you know, very nervous about, you know, it was kind of hard for her to go through. And then just to have – them go back and revisit and practice and practice calmly and then really feel confident. So then that's not something that was once traumatic. That was something that they actually grew from and felt really empowered from. You know what I mean? And I did the same thing with her with uh, darkness when she was little. Always, like going, yeah. I went down to the – I remember everything. going down to the basement and, like, she, she was clinging on to me really little. She was super little. And I sat in the – and we sat in the dark and I kept my energy calm mm-hmm. to show – it's okay. We're right, I'm right here with you. It's okay for you to think whatever you think, but I'm right here with you and you're safe. And I think sometimes saying that with your children, even if it's about a test. So let's go through this. Yeah, so what would that look like? So for, for look- test anxiety, so what would that look like? How could you role play that at home? Right. What would that well, – so well, that, are you asking that directly or saying – Yeah, like well, how would, you, how would you – so if someone was anxious about testing, how would you have them practice that with them at home? So I would, say, I would say in terms of study skills, one of the first things that uh, alleviates uh, test anxiety is knowing the material. That's probably the number one thing. As I taught at a university for years, and that was the number one thing that young people would struggle with. I'm anxious because I don't feel confident in the material. Once you feel confident in the material, you're not. It doesn't mean you're not smart, not even a little bit. It just means you might not have attacked the material Mm -hmm. to the degree to to which you know you can attack it. And that often is what happens. Very intelligent people realize, wait a minute, I could have put more effort in, and now the anxiety comes from that, which is not a bad thing at all. That's a signal saying, hey, Mm -hmm. it's okay to put more effort in. So sometimes we've said, uh, you know, I've said this to people before, like if you're unhappy with a test or you're unhappy with how you did, that's, let's think about that. Let's sit with that for a minute and let's think of how we can use that to move forward. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong or bad for messing up on a test. Everybody messes up on a test. It's what are you learning from it. And do you think that that some kids just get that anxiety, like, like that test-taking anxiety, just like someone might have, like um, someone who goes to a doctor's office, those the white coat syndrome, like you just – you kind of, like, in that particular environment, you get nervous when you're about to be, like, assessed and judged. It is. Even I, if absolutely. you know the material, you just, like, something about that, like, is that? Yes, that, yeah. that is definitely real. And, so that, and, the, and part of test anxiety that people struggle with when it comes down to that percentage. So a large percentage of it is preparation. Mm-hmm. But once you get through it and you prepare, and then there are definitely most certainly young people who do have test anxiety they're prepared but they're like oh no Mm -hmm. i think you hit the nail on the head it's i'm worried about this evaluation so the best thing parents can do is step in and say listen i'm here with you no matter what you come home with an a you come home with an f i care about the effort you put in if you put your best effort in and your mind goes blank it's oh it's not the end of the world i'm right here with you Mm -hmm. that's very empowering because, taking that pressure off. Yes, because it, it's, it's a safety belt. It's a mm-hmm. safety belt. It's, a, it's, a, it's an extra training wheels of saying, you know what, I have a room, I have leeway here. And I, and I like, I just like the idea, too, of practicing, like, what that might look like. So if they're sitting at a desk and they have their pencil in their hand and, they're you know, they're sitting, there's the paper, here comes the teachers passing things out, even just practicing that. Like, you know, being in them, what does that feel like? And when do you start to get nervous? And tell me what you, what's going through your mind. Because sometimes even when you say those thoughts out loud, like, I'm, I'm nervous that I'm just I'm going to freeze and go blank. Okay, like, and what if you did? You right. know, then you take a breath and then 
things come back to you. Like even just practicing that, I think, really helps kind of put kids' minds at ease because oftentimes I think it's what we're afraid of, you know, things that you're – the fear is often worse than what actually ever happens. It's a know? great skill to practice. It's yeah. a great skill to practice. Okay, so my mind goes blank. What's what's worst-case scenario? I talked about this recently, but um, – um, Mike uh, Phelps, uh, Michael Phelps, mm-hmm. he, w- in one of his winning races, I just talked about this on the show not too long ago, but in one of his races where he set a world record, his goggles came off. Mm. And the his oh, coach, yes, I remember you yeah, and his coach was saying, well, I always had him visualize everything going perfectly. But Michael Phelps said, I never actually listened to my coach about that. <laughs> I would picture anything that could possibly go wrong, but here's the next step. We didn't sit in that. He said, then I pictured how to get over that. And one That's of the it. obstacles That's he it. trained for was his goggles coming off his face and doing it blind and counting the strokes, which he did, and he ended up winning. So it's powerful when we think not just, okay, there, there are going to be obstacles. That's okay. That's life. Now, how do we get around those obstacles? And that's a world record holder. Yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah, that's that's a, a absolute. Yeah, so yeah. we listen, we got a whole lot more tonight. Would love for you to be a part of the show. The number is 866 I'm Dr. Christian Conti, joined by my beautiful bride, Kristen Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. We're back. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. 866-391-1020 is the number. Let's go to the phone lines. And Robert from Montreal, you're on... Emotional management. Hi. <clears throat> Hi. How are you? Good, thank God. So, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Okay, okay. Sounds good on the radio. Thank you for, for the beautiful show. Thank you. Definitely. I'm happy because my wife's in here with me today. So, you know, I, th- yeah. I think you're going to get actual good insight today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, actually, so, I, I have... One of my kids are he has a he has a self esteem issue, so he has low self esteem. And I would like and I'm we're working with him, me and my wife, we're working with giving him positive support and and uh good words all the time and we're empathetic with him and we give him we give him what it takes, what it needs what self esteem needs. However, how do I how do I um measure his, his the, the success? How do I measure his self-esteem? How do I see how he's growing? Is there any way to measure that? That's just an awesome question. i got to be honest with you. That's an awesome, awesome question. How old is he? He is, actually, I have two kids, but this one I'm talking about is 17 years old. 17. And, yes, I have, and I have an 11-year-old as well. So, so what, actually, both of them, I can use... Uh, <laughs> This help. No, but I love – one of the things I love is the phrase you're using, positive support, good words, doing that kind of stuff, because that's excellent. Um, here's the reality, though, and this is hard. I think this is hard for us as parents. We want so badly to reach in our children's hearts and have them feel the confidence that we see in them, and we can do that to an extent, but ultimately they have to – pick up that torch and run with it on their own. So I love what you're doing. I think you can actually turn your question into the way that you can measure it. In other words, I would say to your 17-year-old, 
Okay, what would it look like to know that you were starting to feel a little bit more confident? Like, what would that, what would I see in you? And you would actually ask him to teach you what that would look like so that you could start to look for it and praise it when you see it. For example. Okay, so for example, I might say, um, uh, can I tell me, tell me his first name? Uh, Yaakov. Yako. So I might say, Yako, um, all right, buddy, listen, tell me what this looks like. And if he says, okay, if I was feeling more confident, I guess you'd probably see my shoulders back. You'd probably see me smiling a little more. And now, any time I notice him with him shoulders back and his, and his smiling a little more, I go, listen, I love looking at you because right now I see that you almost look like you're feeling some good thoughts inside. Tell me what some of that good dialogue looks like. And now you start wow. to get that internal dialogue. What does it look like when you're feeling good? Mm. Wow, that, that's beautiful. Does that resonate? Does that does that does that fit yeah. with you? It sure does. Absolutely, it's beautiful. And I mean, I thought the fact that you're that you're caring. I mean, you're providing the positive support around him. So that part is just phenomenal. I think I can almost feel your sense of like, oh, I want him to see himself the way I see him. Um, and I love that because I feel that same way. We, we always want our daughter to see us, see herself the way we see her. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, so you're saying that if, when the more I, I, when I'm reading between the lines and tell me if I'm right, the more I will see his his strength and his growth, the more he will feel it. And the more I feed him with certain, certain, um, whether it's posture or different, well, well, you spoke about posture, so then even I will see it and that will go, that will go back and forth and that will help us both grow, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It will. Yeah, absolutely it will. So, so I, I actually do a lot of work um, with young people. If they're struggling with, let's say if they were struggling with something like depression, I actually ask them in my office, show me what it would look like if you felt really confident. And I watch body posture and I watch facial features. And then I comment on that and I say, okay, so let's take a look. Or, or maybe I'll pull out a mirror for them and say, now... Show me how you can do that and then what that will say to your brain as your body just starts to enact those positive confidence-building postures. Okay. Wow. Uh-huh. I guess there's more to it than that. I mean, this is a very strong point, but I'm sure you do much more than that, right? Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> so much more to it. There's so much right. more to it. But it's the, it, this is like kind of the beginning of – and I want to keep talking about it because I think it's – it's such an issue for all of us with, with our children. Look, it's not easy to believe in yourself. You're going to hit obstacles. And I think validating that with him and both of your children, validating when they hit those obstacles. You're going to hit obstacles. You're going to have tough times. What I want to point out to you is the strength I've watched you get through those obstacles. Because think about how many times he struggled and he got through that. That's beautiful that, right there. That is beautiful, yes. Wow, and that's that, and that's what we should build on. Yeah, and as, as you were saying before on the radio, that that you know, when the t- tough time comes, that's the time to grow. That's when we see growth, and that's and that's what we grow we grow from. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. 
That's so important too, and I think um, it. I think it might be helpful too to highlight what you want to see. Like if you're if you're highlighting, like like you said before, with a posture, with anything, like anytime you're seeing those little things, it almost becomes kind of a, a self fulfilling prophecy. Like you're you're kind of building that up by saying and, and commenting on those those beautiful things that you're seeing, even if they're they're small. Sometimes even hearing a, a parent say the positive things that they're seeing kind of gives you that pep in your step and you're kind of thinking like, oh, I guess I am kind of carrying myself differently. And I guess I, I did overcome that. And I, I can see that now the things that we talk about are that I'm gaining momentum and I'm, I'm doing these things better. And when the conversation starts to highlight on all the things that you're doing in the progress, you kind of see yourself in the middle of the, the journey instead of, you know, this is something that I want to work on, and hopefully someday I'll I'll work through this. Instead, wow. it's, you know, we're I in the middle it. of this, and and I'm, I'm making steps, and I'm seeing my progress. And when you're in the middle of something, you know that you're going to get, you know, you're you're, you're getting closer eventually, to the end. Yeah, and that, and that gets exciting. Right. Right. I, I, I love that. Thank you so much. Definitely. Listen, I told you to get the good advice because Kristen's here. So. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes, yes, it's beautiful. But I really appreciate it. I can't thank care. you enough. Yeah, yeah it sounds so yeah. caring. Appreciate Thanks. you. So thank you so much for calling. Um, and even more than that, thank you for being a devoted parent. Like, that's just phenomenal. That's what life's all about right there. It is. It's so, I appreciate so important. That. I so appreciate important. that. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much for calling. Thanks. Take care. All the best. Thank you, too. Thank you, too. Beautiful call. I mean, this is really what it's about. It, I mean, look, I think sometimes parents will hesitate to ask me questions about something, and then through the years, what I've noticed is the moment they ask, I'm like, thank you. Thank you for asking. Thank you for caring enough to be a parent who wants to guide uh, your children. That's the most beautiful thing. we got a whole lot more coming up in the second hour. Uh, my wife will be here the whole show. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDK Radio. What's up, everyone? We hope you're enjoying your Monday night. I'm Dr. Christian Conti in studio with my wife, Kristen. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. 866-391-1020 is the number. We'd love for you to be a part of the show. So let me say that number a little more slowly so you can actually hear it. 866-391-1020. Uh, give us a call. We'd love, to, uh, we'd love to talk to you. But let's go to some of the questions that we have. Okay, so we have another question from Anonymous. Um, Dr. Conti, when is and what age is it appropriate for kids to have social media and or cell phones? So, I mean, this is a great, great question. And, look, I one of the things as a professional counselor, I remember thinking early in my career, boy, do I wish I had a solid answer for I think it'd be a Nobel Prize waiting for someone who can give you a solid answer that is the right thing to take away for every child at every age. But right. the reality is, it's there's just no parenting not. books. And, you no, know, it's not one size fits all. Right. So that's difficult. I'm not saying that there's no parenting book because my book Zen Parents and Child <laughs> good, but I'm just saying <laughs> I don't think there's one definitive right, thing so that you can. <laughs> I just don't think there's one definitive thing you can take away. So for some people, it might be television or video games or this or that, but it depends on the child. But here's the thing: when it comes to what age do you want your children to have a cell phone? For us, at least, we looked at it as would like you to ha would like our daughter to have a way to for us to connect with her, um, 
I'll be honest. I want to know that tracking device is in that phone. I like knowing where the she microchips is. Microchips, not. Yeah. <laughs> I like knowing that I know where she is. But here's the thing. A lot of times the discussions that I have with parents are, well, once they have that phone, we lose them to that phone. No, not even a little bit. Like, before the phone is purchased, there are conversations. There are conversations when the phone is there. Like, this is something that we're going to have access to see everything into that phone. I think the most important word in that sentence is before. Before, right. sometimes I think kids get a cell phone and the parents in their mind, they're thinking, well, this is how it will be, but they don't deliver that clearly. And so three months in, hey, you're not going to be on the phone all the time, you know, and that's news to someone who's been practicing for three months how to, you know, get that instant gratification and look and scroll and do all these different things. Um, So I think before, I, I would agree with that, before you get, the phone is the, the most important time to talk about, or before you get social media. Like, let's talk about this. Let's, there has to be a discussion. There's eye contact during that discussion. This is what we expect. This is exactly what, you know, is expected of this. And this isn't, you know, being handed over to you. The second you get it, it's just you have free reign. We're going to – it's training wheels. We're going to see yeah. how you do with this. We're going to see what it's like. We're going to learn it with you and, and and see what that looks like. And And so if you had to pick an age of when – I mean, is there an age where that starts? Um, you know what? I, I don't know that I have the exact age for that. I really don't. I don't have the exact age for that. Um, I know that I love what you just said as far as the discussion and beforehand. Because when you have those discussions ahead of time, you're able to preempt the reality that these phones are addicting, of course. I mean, as an adult, you're, you're probably checking the news more than you need to check the news. Like right. there, there are things that you're you're... You have this information right there. So, yeah, I mean, I think the conversation is what matters. Um, Let's go to the phone lines, though. Um, Craig, you are on emotional management. Hey, Doc, how do you um, deal with um, helping your children through the loss of their mother? Ages 7, 13, and 17. Oh, wow. First of all, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, because that's a lot to, to, to deal with for a child. I think the number one thing that I say all the time is not ignoring uh, because it's painful to talk about. I, I, I've found, especially when I've done a lot of counseling with uh, young people through the grief process, that sitting there with them and just saying it out loud, like, hey, listen, is there anything you'd like to talk about with your mom? Or sometimes I would preempt, I would bring it up, and I would say, have you been thinking about your mom recently? And, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to gauge that, asking that way, because if children don't want to talk about it, they'll be like, no, and you're bringing it up all the time or whatever. Okay, I'm so sorry. I just want to know I'm here for you. I'm here for you. That reoccurring message that I'm here for you and I'm not afraid to sit and talk about something is, to me, the formula for what can help the, your children get through that in the most effective way. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's powerful. I mean, I'm so sorry to know that. I, you know, I, I feel for you. Yes. That was um, 17 years ago. Jeez. Mm, I'm so I'm sorry. Still, and I'm still trying to see whether I was right. Hmm. Well, you know what? You you were right because you did exactly what you could do at the time. Like, we go with the best information that we have. I think we beat ourselves up, but the truth is we're all human, and you did the best you could. Right, we're doing the best we can. Do you do you do your kids talk about her often, or is there is there still a lot of dialogue? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Still talk about it a lot. 
I think that's really beautiful. We 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 talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show about if somebody's gone, like sometimes celebrating their life and celebrating that they're here um, with you in spirit, or that you you know you're, you're present, you remember those good memories mm-hmm. with them. Uh, that's that's it. That's invigorating for people. That really feels good to talk about those things. We're now taking grandchildren up to our grave. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, it's powerful. It really is. And celebrating those moments and, and, and talking about the positive things I think are good. But also holding that space. If they if they bring up something negative or, or painful or, or missing her, and let's hold that space. Like, I'm with you. I wish I could fix it. I can't, but I'm here with you. That's the, that's the key phrase. I'm here with you. Okay. All right. Thanks. I appreciate you, Craig. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for the call. Uh, God bless. Definitely. You too. Um, so powerful, and it's so difficult to hear because, you know, it's, it's time and again. Time and again, for 21 years I've been doing this, people are in pain. People are in pain in so many different places. You might get cut off by someone in traffic and think, why did that person do this to me? But you have no idea what that person is going through. People are struggling. That's why being kind is, is not – it's it's free. Being being kind is free, and it's it's – yeah, people. People. Every, everybody always has something going on. I, I think um, I have a friend, Tammy, who brought this to my attention one time. She said that, you know, we were talking about, you know, stuff during the holidays and things that we would do with loved ones. And she said that whenever they would do their holiday baking, they would bring, a, I think it was a picture of her grandmother out and the recipes, and um, you know, they would. It, it kind of makes them still involved in that time and helps with that tradition. And I just, I think that was, I thought that was such a great idea that I wanted to start doing it. But it, it, I think it's so important because a lot of times when someone passes away, our instinct are, are kind of what we want to do is just avoid talking about it. Like right, that's right, painful. Right. So let's just avoid talking about it. Let's, you know, move on and, and put distance. And I think it's, it's important because, you know, when we lose someone that we love, I think it's just so great to keep those traditions alive and still talk about them in the positive ways and and spend time doing things that that we would have done with them. I just think that's really helpful. We I was I talked about on the show a couple of weeks back about you you brought that up over this Christmas with your grandma mm-hmm. and picturing her there with us and and baking and those kind of so, things. Talking about the stuff that she would have loved and yeah, yeah. definitely. That's I think that's it's really important to keep those memories alive because they were such a big part of our lives, you know, when we lose someone, especially, I, and I can't even imagine um, kids losing a mother and, you know, going through all of that. That must be so hard. So hard. But I definitely appreciate that call, uh, Craig, and um, I don't think you did the wrong thing at all. My goodness. I don't even know. I just know that we do the best we can with what we have in every given moment. we got a whole bunch of time for you to call in. The number is 866-391-1020. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. I tell you what, we are I'm loving this emotional management tonight in the studio with me. My wife Kristen, Kristen, thanks for being back in studio with me. Thank you for having me. I'm loving that music on the intro. I, love I know. It. I love it. I appreciate it, Ashley. <laughs> It's, um, the, I love having the intro uh, introductions because I want to jump into it and just start dancing. I, I, I like the idea that we celebrate emotional management. We don't run from it. We don't hide from it. We're all going to feel a certain way at some point in life. How do we deal with it? How do we get through 
the ups and downs of life. How do we get through it all? How do we put the painful things away? How do we concentrate on peace? You know, the Buddha told the story that if you were going to climb, go on a pursuit up a mountain, and first you had to cross a river, and you took a little raft, you'd help the raft to get across the river, but then you're not going to drag the raft up the mountain. The, the, the raft helps you get across the river, and then it's time to leave the raft there. Now, the raft was integral and part of your journey, and you needed it, but you don't need it the whole way. And the same can be said sometimes of the pain that we go through. We need it in those moments to grow, to change, to to become who we are. But we don't need to hold on to that pain. At some point, we need to let it, allow ourselves to put it down and to keep going on in our journey with the lessons from it, but not holding the pain in our foreground. How have I never heard that story? You talk all day long. I know. You not I that's I don't know if I think that's in my life lessons book. Another book. You're like, wait, there should be a book on stories. I have a couple. Um, that's a that's a great visual. I love that. I love I love that visual. That really helps. I usually tell that story I, I really don't tell it in that context. I usually tell that story in the context of Whatever your belief system is can only get you so far. Ultimately, the divine is more than anything we could ever talk about or say or define, and it's beyond all pairs of opposites, beyond anything. So to honestly get there, we have to let go of that final attachment of what our... Yeah, but to to bring that to the struggle, I mean, you're, you're right. We don't have to carry. We can use it in that moment, but we don't have to carry it all the time. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. You ready to get some more questions? Let's get to some more questions. Okay. All right, so see how she's keeping me on track. Excellent. (laughs) All right, so um, this one's from Mari. Uh, My son is 12 years old, and he plays Call of Duty video games for hours and hours. I don't know how he could even like to do the same thing for so long, but when it comes to schoolwork, he says he can't concentrate, so he doesn't do it. My question is, how can I get him to see uh, if he can concentrate on a video game that he can also concentrate on his homework that he just doesn't want to do? Okay, great question. Great question, Maury. Appreciate that question so much. Look, parenting's not easy. It's not. Uh, there was a, something I heard in the in the way that you, you know, and all we have is the question to go off. Um, but uh, something way in the way you phrased it um, about him not wanting to do it. Can you say that part again about him not wanting to do it? Yes. Yeah, so he doesn't so he he plays the video games for a long time but when it comes to schoolwork he says he can't concentrate so he doesn't do okay, it okay so that's it so he doesn't he can't concentrate so he doesn't do it now my question first and foremost to you Mari, is this is he allowed to not do his homework because if that's an option then and that's an option for him without a consequence that he can not do his homework and still play video games then what child is not going to choose to put homework aside and play video games right so this is a this is a this is a part where, and I want to say this with the, the utmost love and compassion because parenting is not easy. But what I would ask you to do is to consider setting boundaries and limits and let him know there's no chance of playing a video game until homework is done. Once homework's done, of course you could jump on there for X amount of time, but we don't want him to start telling himself the story that he can't concentrate because if he's focusing on the video game for long periods of time. He can concentrate. He's not finding the enjoyment in the schoolwork. Now, look, this is discipline. This takes effort. This is not a quick fix. And I have found through the years that when people come in for therapy for this, they want to hurry up and fix it. Mm. But I believe you said he was 12. Yes. 
So 12 years. So he's been practicing this for I don't know how many years now to do this. And he's also been, it sounds like, permitted to tell himself the story that he can't concentrate, which is a story I would want to attack early on the first time I hear a child say this. And the reason why I want to attack that story early on is I want to challenge kids to say, when you tell me you can't do something, you better really show me that you can't do it because I don't believe it. I believe you have a lot more potential than what you're telling yourself. Right, and it comes back to that self-fulfilling prophecy too. Like if, you, if you're telling yourself over and over again that you can't do something, then you're probably not going to do it. You know, but I think, again, like it, it comes down to you know, being consistent and, you know, you have to do the things that sometimes aren't as fun first, and then you get rewarded with that activity. So if you're if you're doing the fun stuff, the fun stuff, the fun stuff, I mean, who's going to want to go away from something they're really enjoying doing to do something they don't want to do? That's right. not, that's not going to happen. But I think, and again, it's hard at first because it's hard to tell someone maybe when they're in the middle of playing a video game or when they're, they're about to do something and there was never a consequence before, Again, it's one of those things where we sit down where there are no distractions. Like, this is a conversation that we need to have. This is, you know, this isn't right. working. What we're doing right now isn't working. Right. We need to change some things. But having that conversation, you know, you, you talk about this all the time, not go, giving someone a consequence out of nowhere. You know, we right. have to know right. what the consequences are and why they're having them. Right. And it's not out of anger. So one of the worst things you could do, Maury, is run into the room angrily, pick up the game. Now you're done with this. I'm done with this video game stuff. That's not teaching. That's just putting, associating some anger around. It doesn't need to be angry. This is a message of calm, peace, love. It's first and foremost a message of teaching. And the message you want to teach your son is this. A, he does have the ability to concentrate. B, sometimes we need to practice concentrating on that which we want to get better at doing. So if I, for instance, the, when young people start to read, they don't read as fast as people who've been reading for a while. Why is that? Because once you practice reading enough, you start to read faster. You get better at it. Retention goes up significantly. So the more people read, the more they're able to understand what they read. People who struggle with comprehension have a tendency not to have read as much, not to have practiced it as much. It's, it really comes down to practice. So I'm learning to play the guitar. Love playing the guitar. I'm doing it every day a little bit. Um, I started with zero musical talent. I can play a couple songs right now. I absolutely love it. But here's the reality that I face. I see a pattern that for somebody who's musically inclined can pick it up in two seconds and I have to sit and concentrate on that same thing for days and days just to even get close to beginning to do that pattern. And I'm okay with that because it's going to take time. So here's what I say about this. Mari, with your son, practice having the ability to concentrate. And we're going to talk about tonight on the show, we might start doing it now, but we're going to do this soon in meditation. Because here's what meditation does. Meditation is like push-ups for your brain. So we wouldn't say, oh, I wonder if push-ups work or not to get you stronger. Of course they work to get you stronger. The same thing happens with meditation. I wonder if it's helpful. No, it's definitely helpful. Now let's imagine this. Imagine that you practiced sitting in stillness with your son, and there was a moment when he felt, and again, you can. we'll talk about different ways to meditate, but one of the ways is to focus on being still regardless of, let's say, an impulse to scratch. So maybe you want to scratch your face, but you resist that urge. 
In the moment that you resist the urge to scratch, what you have taught your brain is that when an impulse arises, you don't have to satiate it. This is the powerful lesson. If I have an impulse, I don't have to satiate it. And the more you practice that, the better you get at it. And eventually you can kind of think of it like a wave. It echoes out throughout your life in other areas. And don't you think, too, that um, whenever you're, when you're, you're doing the homework and you're getting it done and it's out of the way, you start to feel accomplished and you start to feel really good about yourself. When you, when you do the hard stuff first and you're rewarded by something that you enjoy, you really start to get that self-efficacy and you start to feel good about yourself and your self-esteem goes up and you have more confidence. It's the cupcake test. Yeah, it's the cupcake test. test. So the cupcake test is, is in brief, is children were given a chance to eat the cupcake or, uh, you know, you can eat the one cupcake in front of you now or you could have two later. And the children who were able to delay gratification ended up um, being able to do that more successfully later in life. And that's the, that's the practice, is can you delay gratification? And you're 100% right. People do feel better. Oh, I got my work done. It feels good. Mm-hmm. Look, there's a difference between self-esteem and self-efficacy. Self-esteem is how you feel about yourself. Self-efficacy is how you feel about you, how you perform. Now, if you raise someone's self-esteem, hey, I think you're great, even though they don't think they're great, You're not doing anything for their self-efficacy, and they might not even believe you. But if you raise self-efficacy, hey, I can see you putting effort into your work. I see that you wanted to play those video games, but you chose to do your work. That was awesome. Now when you raise self-efficacy, self-esteem comes up with it. The more we can praise the performance, the more we can reinforce the performance. Look, this is life. This is what... We're all going through, and we really appreciate these questions because there are so many out there who are struggling with so many with very similar things. So keep those questions coming. 866-391-1020 is the number. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management, and I've got my wife in the studio with me on KDK Radio. We're back. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is emotional management. Um, by my side here is my wife, Kristen. Hello. You have some more questions for us. Uh, we do have another question. This one says, Hi, Dr. Conti. You mentioned on a podcast with Sharon Salzberg that you got your daughter to meditate, and now she's doing it daily years later. How can I get my five-year-old twins meditating so that this happens to them? Uh, thank you, Jocelyn. Jocelyn, thank you for the question. What a great question. Um, again, love, I love hearing from parents who are actively pursuing the best possible life for their children. I mean, it's just a blessing. So we, important. Right, because listen, we see so much in the news, the, the things that are negative. We see people struggling. We see the harm that is committed uh, the pain that is committed, but what we don't realize in homes everywhere across mm-hmm. the world, there are people striving to do people their best, a lot, lot of good, good people things, yeah. doing a lot of good things. And, and those things don't have to be on a scale of newsworthy monumental to be monumental. In other words, every parent out there who takes time to be patient with your children, that to me is truly monumental. 
Absolutely. Because that's the gift that's that's helping society. I once said in my Zen Parent, Zen Child book, what you whisper to your children it is going to be heard throughout the world in what their actions are and it's often what their words are. So you got to be mindful. Yeah, there's such a ripple effect to parenting. That's why I think it's such an important, important job, and that's why I'm so happy to, to have so many calls and, and questions coming in about what parents can do just to, to do their best and they, they're trying to be better for their kids' sake. So let's start with this, with Jocelyn, with this, how, how you get your, your twins to begin to meditate. So at five, I mean, I think the important thing is to sit still for even 30 seconds. I think that is a, a wonderful thing to do at age five. Hey, let's sit down. Let's take 30 seconds, and we're just going to sit perfectly still. Let's see who can sit more still. And here's the thing. Sharing with your children the benefits like you don't have to go into the entire neurology with your children, but you can say doing this every day will help your brain. How cool is that? Well, just like you would teach your, you know, these strawberries are good for you. They're full of vitamin C. They're going to help you get big and strong and help you to fight off, you know, colds or something. And again, age appropriate explanations. But I think it's how you say it. And even just with the, the energy that yes. you were saying within that sentence, like this is something that's exciting and it's going to help you feel peaceful and happy and it, it's kind of how you deliver it to them and I think that's probably part of it because kids naturally you know they don't have that huge internal dialogue yet so they're not you know our minds kind of go more so we're always thinking about what we have to do what's coming up what we forgot to do so as adults we have our minds are going super fast all the time so for kids I think they're they have less of that internal dialogue so I think sometimes in some cases it's easier you know, and it, sometimes it might just be them having imaginative play on their own and kind of just being so present that they don't have any thoughts. They're just fully present in what they're doing. And then maybe like, you know, starting to build off of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, sitting, I, sitting with them. I think the it's the tone of voice. Like you said, I think that's huge. Like I remember you would have Kaya excited to eat trees. It wasn't, here's broccoli. Ooh, you've got to eat this broccoli. It was, look, you get to eat a tree. And she's like, I want to eat trees. So it was awesome. Like, it was it was the way you presented it. And it is the way we present it. If this is a chore or a have to, it automatically becomes a task. But if this is, this is awesome, we're going to learn to control our minds. This is so exciting. So let's say if you have young kids who are really into Star Wars and they like Jedi, well, how do you think those Jedi became Jedi warriors? Well, they right. did it by practicing this stillness. So there are ways to phrase it. I would say with enthusiasm and patience, I can promise you this. I have had – now, through my career, if, I was, if parents brought in a child who was under 10 – I always insisted to see the parents at least half the time. Um, I, but I would see kids but under 10, but only if I saw the parents for half the time. But when I did have those children for half that time, I often meditated with them. And I remember years, parents would say, well, they're not going to do There's no way they'll do that. And then, like, they'd come in and be like, how did they do it? Because they wanted to do it. They would want to do it. I would have kids come in and be like, can you meditate me? And I'm like, I can't. That's actually one thing I can't do for you, but I will sit with you. Um and so I think kids like that. There is a sense of stillness that children, as, and you're right, Kristen, because they can get to that place without so many inner, so without so much inner dialogue. They can get there faster. It's like teaching children languages. If you teach them early, their brain acclimates to being able to understand different languages. The same thing is true if you practice early on. So Jocelyn, I would say 
in your mind, picture 30 seconds. What matters now is not that they're sitting on a, on a mountaintop in a lotus position. What matters right now is that 30 seconds of their day, and that's it, 30 seconds. 30 seconds of their day are the three of you are going to sit in stillness. And it's, and it's that energy that you bring to it. Are you setting a timer? Are you frantic? Are you, you know, telling them, you know, a lot? Are you criticizing them if they're moving, if they're itching, if they're you know, anything? The energy you bring to it is so important. So, again, doing it in an excited way, especially for five. You know, you're excited. We're going to have this special time. And they feed off your energy. I, I know that when we, um, you know, again, you master what you practice. You always come back to that. But when we, we meditate at home, we have a meditation room, and, and we usually ring uh, bells before we meditate. And when we first started doing this, the first, I would even say, you know, four to six weeks, our dogs would come in and they would kind of, our one dog would kind of try to throw his ball at our feet or, you know, they would wag their tails or they'd kind of be, you know, excited and just want want our attention. And so it took them a while. But now when we walk in there, I mean, how many years later, we ding the bells and they just lay right down because they know what's coming. They know it's almost like Pavlov is on to something. <laughs> right. the bell gets rung and instead of salivating, they just lie down. Yeah, but it's They're like it's meditation. But it's time. neat to see, and it didn't happen the first time we did it. it didn't happen no. the second time. But they, you know, again over practicing that and having that ritual. And the, the lesson yeah. was to Kaya: if our dogs do make noise. Mm-hmm. The goal isn't to control the outside world. It's to control your mind, regardless of what's happening in the outside world. Let's let's uh, let's. We've got a lot more to talk about with that, but I want to go to the phone lines and let's talk to uh, Brad in Clarendon. Brad, you're on emotional management. Well, I almost needed your help. <laughs> <laughs> you said about starting to play the guitar. I went way back to when I was six years old. That's when I started to play and. My dad uh, played guitar, and I asked him to show me G chord on the guitar. He looked at my hands. He said, oh, you can't do that. Your hands are too little. But I went and learned to play myself, uh. learned the G chord, and went from there. And Now uh, I'm I'm a senior, helping years. I still have a Gibson or a uh, Fender guitar I bought in 1982. Oh, awesome. that's, I love that. It's a Fender uh Fender Telecaster, and I still have it, and uh, it's my buddy. I still play. I'm telling Brad, that's, isn't it like such a peaceful thing to do to get lost in that music? Oh my! He believed he could do it. He did it. I, I love to sit down and play my guitar. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it so much. I feel like it's such a good um, mental health. Like yeah, I, I, you keep you keep going. You'll learn to play good. Thank Aww. you. I appreciate that. See, you're giving me encouragement, and I appreciate that. Okay. Have a good night. Thank you so much. Thanks, Fred. Bye. Thank you. What a beautiful call. Like, I love that. Like we said, there are so many good people out there. Yes. Mr. What, Rogers said, though, always look. Anytime something bad happens, there's always more helpers. It's you true. Know. It's true. true. There are. There really are. There, there are people who will rally around it. And, and look, we, what we fill our minds with is what is in our mind. So if what you're seeing is anger, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see it everywhere. You'll look around. You'll say, look at all these people who are rude. These people who are mean. What we see in the outside world is a reflection of what's going on inside of us. And, and something that I, I think would be great to hit on is, and we'll do it more in coming up in the, in the, in the final segment, but I want to talk about Something that we've learned to do, so my wife, Chris and I, we've been married for 19 years, and one of the things we've learned to do is when either one of us is struggling physically, instead of creating a story and turning it into an argument, 
we own it and say, you know what, I'm really struggling physically right now. This has nothing to do with you. If I'm irritable, if I'm agitated, it has nothing to do with you. And then we really follow through with that. Each of us does this now. And it's very empowering to do. So I want to talk about that coming up on how you can do that, how you can recognize what's going on inside of you without creating a problem around it. If you want to get more of this kind of information, just go to YouTube, check out Dr. Christian Conti. You'll see my YouTube channel. We've got a bunch of videos for you on there. But we still got more to come on this show tonight, Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Thank you so much for listening and being part of this uh, show. I'm here every week on Monday nights from 8 to 10. I love doing this show. As I've always said, we don't get enough just dialogue around what we're experiencing internally. We all have these vast internal psychological worlds, and sometimes we can allow the vastness of what's happening inside of us to trickle over into how we treat others. So before the break, I said we're going to talk a little bit about something that you and I have done, Kristen, through the years. We've gotten much more effective at doing it now than early on. We certainly wish we could go back and give this to us early in our relationship. But it's it's owning what you're going through and not putting it on others. In other words, we're all going to be agitated at times. We're all going to be irritable at times. <laughs> and it's being able to say, you know what, this agitation, this irritability has nothing to do with you. It has to do with me. And, you know, we both, we thought about this today. Like, this is today. This is live live stuff. I felt like I've been hit by a truck. I did wreck on the mountain bike the other day. You did. But, this, and again, this time of year, I think it, a lot of people, especially in the Pittsburgh area, um, struggle. Because it's we're the third gloomiest city in the country Right. Um, holidays are over. It's dark. We haven't seen the sun. We're lacking vitamin D, you know, seasonal affect disorder, all of that. We're moving less. We're probably eating less fruits and vegetables because they're not, you know, as readily available. As readily available. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, people sometimes feel it this time of year. And I think, again, it's important to say, you know, today I might not feel perfect. I might be quiet. I might be in pain. But, you know, this isn't is nothing to do with you. You know, just even having that dialogue, you know what I mean? So today, I, I said today, yeah. earlier today, I said my my body does feel like I've been hit by a truck. And I guess as I say that out loud, I did wreck on the mountain bike the other day. And I thought, you know, just took it in stride, jumped back up. I, it hurt, but it wasn't the end of the world. Mm -hmm. But obviously, that now I say that out loud, it makes more sense why I feel like <laughs> I've been hit by a truck today. Um, but I, I said my body, We so we were um, running errands earlier today, and I said my body feels... Like it wants to be angry, and the reason why is I don't like the feeling of pain I'm in. And so, what does what do what does your body want to do when you're in pain? You want to lash out in anger because when you lash out in anger, endorphins kick in and you temporarily feel better. But with insight and understanding the pattern, seeing it enough times, knowing that anger is not real. It's not about anything. In particular, it's about saying, I want to get out of this. So what did I do? I said, listen, this is just how I feel. And saying it was enough to shine light on it. And people should learn that in elementary school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, you, if, you're, if you stub your foot, you don't have to – I mean, it might feel good to yell and scream at the person next to you. Right. It gets those endorphins going. But you know, making sure that you're not making it personal and really feeling like you are angry and need to get in this huge argument. Because a lot of times in relationships – has nothing to do, like you can get into an argument, it has nothing to do with anything. It's just that you're hungry, you're tired, you're in pain, 
you're going through something and our body wants to just, you know, get those endorphins out. So they, they want to pick a fight, want to do something just to, to kind of make that pain, and even if it's temporarily, go away. But so how do, so what do you, what do you do well, instead? Well, so, no, so I, I remember, so I speak, I'm a professional speaker, go all over the country. I love what I do. I own what my the type of speaker I am. I'm an inspirational speaker. I'm not a I'm not a stand up comedian. So I kind of remember the times when I can get the crowd laughing. But one of the first times I remember that I was getting a group of people laughing. I was doing stuff on anger management. This is back in like 2006 or so. And I I said to the guys, look, if you stub your toe on your children's toys in the middle of the night, you start yelling at your kids. Why'd you do this? You're not really angry at that. You're angry. You're trying to get adrenaline going. Now, if you just got done working out and you stepped on that same toy, you'd have enough endorphins that you wouldn't be mad. So instead of screaming things you regret, how about the next time you step on your child's toy, you just say really loudly, I just need to say something out loud right now. (laughs) It doesn't really matter. Flu flop, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. You just need to say words loudly because that releases those endorphins or at least that's one way to release them. But it also teaches you through that humor that you don't have to come down on someone and degrade someone or pick at someone because they made a mistake. Instead, there's a more conscious way to teach them the lesson about cleaning up, and there's a more conscious way to teach you how to deal with pain. And if you're the person who's ever the brunt of that anger, it's kind of, you know, it's important not to take it personally. Mm. You know, because it's, it's okay to say, you know, I understand that you're struggling today. Yeah. And today was a rough day. I understand that you might feel better in this moment to to get that fluff out of me. And that's fine. I understand you're struggling. And even just sometimes saying that back to the person, if if you're if you're the brunt of that, there's something that you can do too. You know, you can kind of just say like, I I understand that you're in a rough spot, and I'm holding a space for you. Today's rough. You know, tomorrow may not be. Right. And only because I've been doing videos for a while and hearing from people, I can foresee someone hearing that right now and going, well, then you're supposed to put up with abuse. And that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the abuse. Let's oh, stay away from not. that right, aspect right, right. and just go with the normal daily functioning, which is if you stub your toe or something like that, or, they're, you know, they're lashing out because of that. And you go, wait a minute. It sounds like you're really struggling. And here's a piece. And, and you said it perfectly because this is kind of the way you say it in real life. Um, is I understand that you're struggling. That's not saying I know exactly what you're going through. I understand everything you, you feel right now because right. you don't. Right. What you do understand is the the communication that the person has, which is I'm struggling, and that's the piece that you understand. So that's really important. So, Kristen, first of all, this show flew by with you on it. Thank it you did. so much so for fast. coming in here. You're welcome. Always a pleasure. I tell you what, I uh, I would love to have you on as often as you can come in here. It was so much fun. Thanks for having me. <laughs> hey, uh, every week uh, this show is here to help you. We, what do we say on KDK Radio? It's your weekly checkup from the neck up, and we always invite you to be a part of the show. 866-391-1020 is the number. I uh, would love for you to check out my new book, Walking Through Anger. Walking Through Anger. Got a whole bunch of easy-to-read stories, easy-to-digest And as always, more than anything else, we want you to have peace. So we wish you much much peace. peace. This is Dr. Christian Conti on KDK Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.